FIS Castaway, the podcast keeping you in the know about the shipping and commodity world. To keep up to date, sign up to our FIS Live app at www.fis-live.com or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Hello, welcome back to Castaway, FIS's freight and commodity podcast. It is Wednesday the 17th of March on a somewhat hazy morning in London town. Uh, I do have here with me Kerry and we do have a special guest this week, uh, Hans Christian Olsen, Chairman of the Baltic Exchange European Advisory Council. So we have our special freight feature later on for you to look forward to, but we're going to do our usual news and main market updates before we get to that. So you have to wait and go through all those before you get to the, <laughs> the best bit of the, the podcast. So what have we seen in the news this week? We've seen some EU countries halt the uh, rollout of the AstraZeneca vaccine over fears of it causes blood clots, although regulators are yet to find any evidence of this. Uh, the UK announced a rise in the number of nuclear warheads as part of its sweeping review into its foreign policy. Alibaba browser pulled from the Chinese app store as Xi Jinping warns of further tech crackdowns. Israel further relaxed COVID restrictions, I guess, and some good news from around the world, uh, with the country boasting a large majority of adults now being vaccinated. Libya's first unity government in seven years was sworn in before Parliament on Monday as efforts to end a decade-long conflict in the country actually move forwards. The EU launched legal action against the UK after Britain decided to unilaterally ease trading rules for Northern Ireland, breaching the Brexit treaty site at the end of last year. And President Biden has employed Clinton and Obama-era economic advisor Gene Sperling to implement the $1.9 trillion stimulus package. And of course, it's also St. Patrick's Day. So, And it's also St. Patrick's Day. So if you're allowed to get a takeaway Guinness, <laughs> then I'm sure you will. Right, but going on to market movements and what have we seen? So Brent, we've seen a move up about 1.1%, ending 68.34. And there's been a rise across all the fuels as well. Rot 3.5% up half a percent, 37765. Sing 380, the high sulfur fuel, up 3.5%, 39.165 ending yesterday. Uh, Rotterdam 0.5%, 480.76, up 0.1. And Sing 0.5%, 503.01, clinging onto that five handle. Uh, up 0.2%. The high fives have fallen away uh, very slightly, down 1.9% on the rot and down 2.6% on the Sing version. Kerry, what about the freight? Freight grinding upwards. The Cape size 5TC average at 17274 That's $1,104 or 6.8% up, a relatively modest move this week on the Capes. Uh, and the Panamax 4TC at 20013 That's $1,204 or 6.4% up. Meanwhile, on the iron ore, the 65% uh, metal bulletin, 65% uh, FE content is at 192.5. That's $3.20 up or 1.7%. And the plus 62% FE is 166.30. That is $2.70 or 1.6% up. And then to finish off the roundup of main markets, we've got tankers. A big move on TC2 up 26%. Up to 147.22. TC5 up 8% to 111.79. TD3C down very slightly, 0.2%, uh, 28.58 closing, and 117.08 for the TD25 down 14%. So, a little bit of brief overview of a bit of the background to those markets before our main feature. So, oil and crude products. Uh, crude's been hovering around the 67.70 range on Brent uh, after the OPEC cuts and supporting the current prices. We obviously had a lot of talk about that last week when we found out that they would be rolling that forward. It is interesting to find out that spending on oil and gas companies operating in the North Sea fell to its lowest level since 2004, 
uh, last year as they obviously concentrated on preserving cash and all the problems of, yeah. of a low price. Um, so again, when we talked about the problems of potential future supply shortage, we're this now, is the kind of situation that. <laughs> exactly. we're, we're now seeing that materialize. So US stimulus package has obviously had a, a huge positive impact on the global economy. Uh, we talked last week about probably around about 1% estimated for global economy in a kind of increase. Um, but crude has not seen this high since 2018 with a weak dollar, especially on US crude, that's really helped on things there. Uh, the oil market is losing some momentum as OPEC revised down its oil demand predictions for Q1 and Q2 by 180,000 barrels per day um, and 310,000 respectively. So these revisions of basis that the pandemic is still not going to go away very quickly, but we obviously had good news like Israel in the uh, intro. Um, but with the threat of new variants and key issue, the roadmap out of the pandemic, um, OPEC does expect oil demand to be 96.27 million barrels per day in 2021 and 220 barrels per day upward revision of its forecast. Um, it's still a positive view that the market will eventually get out of this. But again, they're, they're pushing yeah. this a bit further back. Um, we did have a strengthening the dollar again on Tuesday, which did limit some of those gains. And the U.S. overtook Saudi Arabia to become India's second largest supply of crude. That is so remarkable, isn't it? Diversification, <laughs> which definitely has yeah. a good thing in terms for uh, tanker mileage as well. Yeah, absolutely. Diversification absolutely. away from a closer neighbor. And good news for the U.S. Very good trip. news for the, uh, for the tanker market, exactly. Kerry, why don't you give us a, a view on the, the iron ore? Well, for so much of the past year, the market's been waiting with seemingly bated breath at every correction to see if this would be the big one. And frankly, that game continues this week with uh, another basket of mixed signals. A marginally positive spot index on both grades uh, was driven by positive expectations from China. We saw robust economic activity at the start of the year. This materialized and was seen in crude steel output that climbed 13% actually to 175 million tons in January and February. The recent pollution controls in Tangshan did indeed cut production by region 120,000 tons a day. That is from a normal level of around two and a half million tons a day. But the stringent controls are expected to ease at the end of this week. At the, at the political conference that caused the additional controls has ended now. Uh, and another potentially bullish signal, steel inventories have dropped a touch over the past week, indicating we have potentially passed the seasonal peak inventory uh, as we enter the construction season in China and things start to unfreeze really in North China. Um, on average, Chinese mills also remain moderately profitable. It's worth noting that uh, on average, they're showing a per ton profit in the region of 300 RMB just now. Uh, one red flag to watch, the China cement index has dropped 6% from its peak in December. That could potentially indicate real construction demands not quite as high as we expected. Um, so watch that space. With the paper moving sideways yesterday, the relatively large intraday trading ranges we've seen recently still indicate uncertainty, though, overall. The April contract continues to trade in the region of $7 below the spot index. And uh, I guess the wide 62 versus 65% spread has been probably the subject of the most noise recently. Uh, in dollar terms, uh, at $26.20, it's nearing the peaks we saw in July of 2018. Uh, it is worth noting in percentage terms, though, we are well off. That spread is a percentage of the per ton cost, sitting just over 15% now, uh, whereas back in July of 2018, it was nearly 45%. Steel margins are far lower now than they were in July of 2018. 
but you know the noise around this is not going to abate uh, as ESG plays become ever more popular and the threat of further Chinese pollution controls loom. I think we can expect to hear a lot more about this spread to the higher grades. Um, just to make it clear for people who may not be familiar, uh, using a higher grade of iron ore in these blast furnaces produces less overall waste and pollution per ton of steel that's produced. So, uh, so the demand for that can be expected to increase, but let's see, let's watch the space. Cool. The, the ever amazing iron ore market continues as it goes <laughs> on. Uh, but Kerry, why don't you finish off with a little overview of the week's trade on the freight before we go on to our feature? Well, it was, it was a rather static week on the physical cake market, uh, with the 5TC average moving up, a, as I said, a modest 6.8% on, uh, on the week, uh, which may at first look like a relief to some people. Um, but those modest physical moves disguise another roller coaster on the paper market uh, on many days during the past week. On the physical market, steady incremental gains have been seen mainly from busy West Australia market, with $9.15 being concluded yesterday on the C5 in the morning, up to rumored uh, $9.35 by the end of the day yesterday. Out of Brazil, the picture is not quite so clear. The market is highly positional. It's been that way for the last couple of weeks. There's a good supply of balusters continuing to cap rates uh, on that C3 route for the end of March, start very start of April loading dates with healthier levels, including one fixture heard at around, actually heard at $19.15, uh, being seen for dates after 5th April loading. The paper has been all over the place, however, uh, with a healthy contango developing in the Cape market, uh, seeing the Q3 trade around $2,000 above the April contract at 23375 on the close last night. Uh, despite these wide intraday trading ranges for much of the past week, uh, with intraday ranges of up to $2,000, both the April and the Q3 remain only marginally above where they closed a week ago. So we're getting a lot of static, not a lot of actual movement in the levels on the market right now. Again, indicating that, that uncertainty. Um, I, I defy anyone to predict with absolute confidence where this market's going to go next. Um, if we shift to the Panamaxes, I mean, it's tempting to use cliched phrases like moving from strength to strength, but that really is the case at the moment. Despite a slow start to the week on the physical, uh, Tuesday saw the market stronger in both basins, with relatively thin tonnage in the east seeing healthy rates for the NOPAC rounds and owners that didn't see their levels, and those levels are around 24 to 25K on an eco campsite max, uh, willing to ballast with high expectations for late April activity out of East Coast South America. The Atlantic is powering ahead as well, with a large number of ships taken off the continent for North Coast South America rounds yesterday. While continued demand from the Black Sea is keeping rates very punchy in the East Med. Paper joined the party and despite a stumble in the middle of last week has surged back uh, yesterday gaining 1250 on the May contract to trade 22250 at the close, while the Q3 gained 425 bucks to trade 18100. Cool. Thank you for those updates uh, and we've obviously <coughs> done our week overview. But of course it's now to bring in our main feature for, for this podcast and our special guest Hans Christian. And of course, the big one we're going to be talking about, isn't it, Kerry, is the new handy size index. Absolutely. So the imminent launch of futures contracts based on the Baltic Exchange handy size 7TC index that is based on a 38,000 deadweight vessel description. This comes a year or so after trading was discontinued on contracts on the older 28,000 deadweight index description. Uh, now, here at FIS, we are always very eager to see new contracts launched. This is certainly no exception. I will hold my hand up, though, and confess that in the past, I have been a touch skeptical on the need for a handy contract. Uh, this was possibly my instinctive fear as a broker of seeing of splitting any liquidity pools. 
in this case, the Super 10 TC futures, which posted impressive volume growth last year around 34%. <clears throat> so, you know, I guess turning to, to Hans Christian here, who is more of the expert on the subject, on the whole, that handy 7TC to Super 10TC correlation is fairly high. I believe it ran around 96% over the course of 2020. Having said that, a tight correlation over time doesn't always mean that the super contract is necessarily a useful hedge for a handy vessel. Hans Christian, can you walk us through how and why that correlation breaks down in use and why the separate handy contract is a necessity? Yeah, I can. And first of all, thanks for, for bringing me onto your program. Um, yes, I can. Uh, so that uh, narrow uh, should we say span of 96%, it covers uh, on a historical range, sure. But if you look at individual quarters, the correlation can be as little as 5%. So to be to be an efficient instrument, uh, I think we you do need to, to, to place your, your interest in the handy segment if that's what you want to do. Um, and I think also for some of us, uh, there are IFS rules, there are tax rules in place to, for instance, if you want to use this as a hedging instrument, you have to prove that it's an efficient hedge. So there are other more technical things that does that, uh, that is going to be great to see the, uh, the handy uh, come on. Uh, so in, in all in all, yes, there are two, the, the Supermax and the handy size are two, what should we say, technically identical ships, except for 20,000 tons of, of dead weight. <laughs> But 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 surely they trade differently over over time. Yeah, that's very very true. And in fact, that ratio, you know, leaving aside the correlation, shifted, didn't it? It inverted with the handy size actually um, exceeding the value of, uh, of the supermaxes uh, in, 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 in recent months. So uh, so that obviously exposes users to a, a fair amount of basis risk, I'd imagine. Yeah, that's the, that's the entire point. We've just seen it happen in real life. Um, of course, it's a bit of an unusual situation that the handy is higher than uh, Super, Panamax and Cape, uh, but it just shows it uh, has its own right uh, for a, a more specific derivative. Exactly, exactly. And that's a very good point about the accounting rules as well. I mean, my biggest fear here uh, was always that, you know, we don't want to drain too much liquidity from the supermax market. But, you know, that market has grown a lot. Given the impressive liquidity growth last year on the Super 10 TC, I, are you confident that market can stand on its own, um, even if handy size hedgers move off into their into their own separate contract? I agree with you. It is a concern because we are getting where we want to be on the supras. Uh, I don't have a feeling, I don't think anybody knows the precise number of uh, handy sort of uh, deals done in Supra. We, uh, I guess we, we don't know that. But but I have a feeling that the potential of trading handy is a lot more than what is being done in, in Supra. And then I also feel that um, we see a lot of spread deals between Supra and Panamax. I don't see why we wouldn't see a lot of interesting spread deals, especially the way that the handies are trading at the moment between handy and Supra. Uh, I could certainly see ourselves uh, do some of that. Uh, there are some interesting opportunities. Uh, I mean, just look at what's happening the, the last uh, six, eight months. Uh, that could have been an interesting play to do. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and in fact, yeah, that spread will, will hopefully generate a lot of additional liquidity uh, once yes. it's in place. So, uh, so looking forward to that. I mean, we are definitely, I can say absolutely, uh, are receiving more inquiry in regards to the handy 7TC contract than we did in the latter days of the old 28,000 deadweight 6TC 
index contract. Um, that contract had suffered from a lack of liquidity, let's be honest, in its last couple of years. Um, I have been surprised by the level of demand, the level of customer demand for that 7CC contract. Why do you think the new 38 dead weight contract is attracting so much more attention than, uh, than was given to that 28 dead weight contract? I think I think the twenty the twenty eight was an interesting workhorse for lack of better words, but it was really becoming an irrelevant ship size uh, for, for for the larger part of the market. And I think uh, the Baltic did exactly the right thing by picking the thirty eight. There was a discussion: uh, should we go from a twenty eight to a thirty four? But we also know that these indexes uh, changing. Um, not at a frequent pace, let's say it that way. And I think the, yeah. the, the right thing was to go to a 38. And if you look at that, uh, the handy market compared to the supermarket on the physical side, there's almost as many handy sizes as there are supras. So if you look at the sheer, sheer trade volume on the physical side, you have an equal size market. I'm not indicating that the derivatives market will be the same, at least not in the beginning, but it sure has the potential uh, to grow to that. And I cannot see why handy uh, players in the handy market uh, would want to be without the the tool of uh, of derivatives. It is it, we've seen it in in the other segments. It's 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 grown to be a hugely important tool. So I'm I'm quite positive that. Uh, with the new index that the Baltic has introduced uh, with the help of, of the play, market players and and the new ship size that has become a lot more relevant and we will see we will see great trading uh, on, on that index uh, when it launches here hopefully on the 19th of April that's right uh, that's, that's right so to, to keep everyone informed 19th of April is the target date for SGX to launch the contract. Um, EEX launching shortly afterwards. Um, last conversation I had, I believe they're targeting start of May. So both major exchanges will have this contract up and running by early May, fingers crossed. Um, and uh, I have to say, Hans Christian, you've, you've, you've rather convinced me on this. Um, so, you know, we're looking forward to getting, generating a little bit more liquidity here, especially through those spread trades. Um, and it does seem like the Baltic actually in the end made the right move, sort of predicting the fleet size, um, the average fleet size, um, in terms of moving to the 38 dead weight, you're right, instead of, uh, instead of incrementally adjusting to a 34. So, um, very yeah, much looking forward to see I mean, this some of, some of these changes, um, that we do to the index, um, it takes some time because as you know, the Baltic is now a regulated benchmark provider. And that yeah. means, that means that there are dual, uh, markings and so on that needs to be done to, to to stay within the regulations so so it's a big job uh, to change these uh, but also the users of the index can be quite sure that it is it is a regulated benchmark and things are happening as they should do so uh, I, I can only say again i'm happy we we went to the 38 because it seems a little bit more in tune with what's happening also the next few years exactly Exactly. And, and as you say, it, it takes a long time to change these indices. The Baltic has to do it in the proper way. So, um, yeah, I've got a, a point, I guess we, we talked last week and have been pushing a lot about, um, especially with John B's podcast, yeah. they talked about new players coming into the market. Yeah. So with this new index, there'll be a, a lot of, uh, kind of um, responsibility for those who are in the market to go look market participants who look at the freight market as yeah. something which is uncorrelated to a lot of other traditional instruments. You know, is there, Hans Christian, how would you pitch this to someone who's maybe looked at some of the 
I know, other other freight routes look to those the cakes of larger sizes, the supers, which is are getting to, as you said, uh, a place where we, we want it to be. Um, how would you pitch that to them to go, look, there's this new handy size market, which could provide even even further interesting ways to trade? Yeah, well, I, it comes at a very convenient point. Of course, the handies are showing a strength, uh, the best in a long time. Handies have shown that uh, the minor box are very important. We have seen that this year. We have seen probably some spillover from the container trade back into the handy trade. Uh, and and I think the, the, the volatility of, of the handy market uh, shows it is an attractive place to to be to be investing and and taking a risk and then another really important point to me is if you look at the new building orders which are in general very low for all segments but handy is yeah. looking interesting it's two and a half percent so I, I i think i think handy is in for a good ride first of all here on the backing of coming out of the corona crisis and uh, they're doing extremely well but also looking at the fleet profile into the next few years uh, i think they are set for a very good time excellent excellent i mean we touched on the subject of transitioning that index on the handies and of course that brings me fairly smoothly to the, to the next big topic that I think is occupying everyone's mind at the moment uh, uh, in the FFA world. And that is the, uh, the ongoing transition from the Pentmax 4TC average to the 5TC average. Now, <clears throat> a bit of background first. For those who don't know, on the 1st of January, 2020, the Baltic Exchange ceased producing its daily Pentamax four-time charter average, which had been based on a 74,000 dead weight vessel description and begin instead using a new weighted average of the five chime charter routes that was based on an updated Panamax description of 82,500 dead weight. In order to facilitate a transition on the futures, the Baltic has continued to produce a daily 4TC average number, but that number is merely derived from the 5TC number. It's just the 5TC number with $1,336 subtracted from it. Uh, however, here we sit 15 months later and virtually all futures liquidity remains on the old 4TC average contracts. The Baltic obviously will not want to produce this derived index forever. And clearinghouses, I can imagine, certainly will not want to keep listing contracts based on a antiquated and derived index forever. So the lack of movement into the new 5TC contracts is becoming a topic of, of some importance and some real concern. Now, last week, Sean B, our chairman, sent out a personal message to all our clients drawing attention to the issue. I know the Baltic sent out a very similar message last week. Yet over the past week, 28,638 days of Panamax 4TC has traded and zero days of the 5TC have traded. So Hans Christian, what do you think explains this reluctance to open positions on the updated contracts? Yeah, I think, I think it's divided into two, really. I think the, the first is a practical issue. Uh, it is the one that we all creatures are habit. And uh, we, ha we have a marketplace where that works with some forward curves that comes on Skype or other things. And uh, there needs to be a date where we all change over because otherwise you risk making mistakes in, in the daily trading. So that's just a practical problem in my mind. We need to set a date where we then start trading the new index. Um, yeah. The second part of it is the open position. And I think that that could come later. I mean, it's a mathematical issue really with the open position the uh, the spread of the $1,336 has already been well defined um, and I think when we start trading i.e. we stop the bleeding 
of keep trading in, in an irrelevant index, when we then go to the correct index, uh, at least it will start to look ridiculous that we have all these old contracts sitting in a in in a <laughs> in a wrong index, yeah. and then we will sit down with the clearing houses and, and go, okay, why don't we convert this to something we all can work with? Yeah. I mean, the company I work with, we we converted to the eighty two index uh, when the Baltic did, so all our internal contracts and evaluation of ships and so on is all done in the new index. I can tell you, it's okay, a pain. It's it, it's a I don't do you have the beep sound on on this program I don't know but it's a pain in the uh, with, with this <laughs> yeah all right but you get you get my point so I think yeah. in in the first instance it's a practical thing we need to start yeah. trading in the new index and then we can deal uh, we can deal with the uh, with the open interest in in a structured way after that yeah I mean and and that. Your answer partially answers my next question as well, which is that, you know, do we think that users were having any issues with the updated vessel description per se? That is, you know, did the Baltic get ahead of itself maybe in, in jumping up to the 82 and a half dead weight index description? It's worth noting, I reached out to friends at How Robinson Research yesterday and who told me the overall median dead weight of the Panmax fleet today globally is already 80,300 dead weight. So the newer index description is much more in line with what the global fleet looks like. Um, so is this just purely an issue of timing and the need to coordinate a move en masse then in, in your opinion or? Yes, it is, uh, it is for sure. I mean, if, if, if our Panamax department was gonna fix a 74, we'd probably reach out to some ship that is engaged in coastal trade in China or something like that. It's long time since we've had a 74 yeah. on charter. Uh, and and yeah. I think it's for many players it's like that. As I said, it, we are creatures of habit, and I think on the FFA side we keep trading it because it, that's just what we do. And and who's going to be the first to to change yeah. with the risk of making mistakes in the trading? So what what and, and also the risk of getting trapped in a in a market with only partial liquidity? I guess you know we really do need that that rollover to happen within a fixed window, don't we? To, to quickly build the necessary liquidity in the new contract. You're absolutely right. If we could just agree on a date and then that day we do it. So, so uh, we have suggested uh, from the uh, from the advisory council just as a uh, throw it on the table. We had different dates on the on the table, but uh, we wanted to do it as close to a quarterly uh, yeah. change, if you will. Uh, the first of April uh, being a Thursday but before a major holiday in many European countries, at least. Yeah. Uh, and and it, it sort of came out that probably it's gonna be a little bit of slow trading in the FFA markets from the on the 5th and the 6th. So why not yeah. take, right. take the 6th of April and we, everybody on, under slow trading can get into the, into the, to seeing numbers that is $1,336 higher than they saw the previous week. I mean that that's what we're talking about it's it's yeah. just getting used to that because the the mathematical the US dollar effect we've all lived with that for a while already Exactly and as you say many people like yourselves will already be converting in reverse uh, simply yeah. to, to to calculate their exposure on the 4TC Exactly um, I mean it's it's worth noting that we've spoken here at FIS to both major clearing houses uh, SGX and EEX uh, and they both indicated a willingness to discuss fixing a window of potential fee holidays, let's say, to facilitate this role. Um, so, you know, I, I guess at this point, it's a matter of, of who gets to coordinate the role. Um, and I, I guess that responsibility should fall to the Baltic. Uh, what do you think, Hans Christian? Yeah, I think the Baltic is a natural go-to 
for coordination of these kind of things. And I, and they do a great job on that. And I know they are in contact. Um, and, and, and what we do at the advisory council is we we just try to support a bit on the communication side. Uh, they, they're really in the driver's seat on that. But as I said before, uh, if we if we uh, win, hopefully on on the 6th of April, we start trading the new index and everybody's on board, that open interest uh, quickly starts looking a bit ridiculous sitting there. And and I think every in everybody's interest that we don't work with two different sets of figures that we get converted over and we move on with our life from there on. Yeah, and, I agree that once that role starts, it really has to be done. As, as efficiently and as quickly as possible. Yes. Um, well, you know, here's hoping if, if we could get it done in early April, I think that would be a fantastic achievement. Um, so, you know, <laughs> if, if, if we can all coordinate it in time, then, uh, then I think that would be a great thing to happen. Um, so yeah. here's hoping that, uh, that we can work with the Baltic and get that done. Yeah. Um, and yeah. speaking of the Baltic, I mean, you're here today, not representing Ultrabolt, but representing uh, your position as chairman of the Baltic European Advisory Council. Uh, so this is a key advisory body for the Baltic in terms of collecting and pushing for action on a number of pressing issues in the industry, I know. Um, and I know you've been concerned recently, with in particular, with the implications of a rapidly diversifying fleet, um, especially when you look at the increasing options in terms of fuel type, the development of LNG-fueled vessels, um, and... I mean, hell, even discussions in, in the future of potential for nuclear power vessels uh, going on um, and, and what this would look like in terms of its effect on the indices. I mean, can you discuss a little bit more about uh, about your thoughts on that and, and the other work you're doing with the Baltic European Advisory Council? Yeah, well, maybe I can start with the last first. Um, so the Baltic obviously uh, doing, as we talked about, a great deal to on their indexes to be a regulated benchmark provider and so on. They've gone to great extents and they want to be the leading uh, benchmark. And wherefore they are also open to its users. It may not seem so, but we, we are open uh, to there. And that's why the advisory councils are in place and there's many other ways to contact uh, the Baltic, and I know they appreciate all the input from the users. Now, if you want to get in touch with the advisory council, be that dry or wet, and there's also an advisory council Asia, uh, go into the to the uh, governance page on the Baltic Exchange. You can see the members, and uh, as you said, I work for Ultrabulk, and you can find my contact details on the ultrabulk.com. And we really encourage you to reach out to us if you have any comments, ideas to the way the um, the indexes uh, are put together, so so please reach out to us. Um, on to your point about uh, one of the big issues that is uh, sitting in front of the Baltic at the moment, and they have already started discussing it, is the conversion of of uh, the fleet to new types of fuel. We all want to become more uh, better to the environment, and of course, uh, shipping is on the forefront of that. Um, we saw when we changed uh, from uh, high sulfur to low sulfur fuel, it did give a few um, challenges when it yeah. comes to the time shutter indexes. Absolutely. Uh, now, uh, when we have ships on sales, LNG, ammonia, uh, hydrogen, uh, nuclear, we no longer have that uh, luxury that the fleet is super homogeneous, which is really the homogeneous fleet. It makes it a lot easier to put a time charter index. I mean, the voyage indexes are not so troublesome, but the time charter yeah. will be. 
and and uh, it is of course something where we not yet from the Baltic side and and certainly not from the advisory can give any sort of advice to where do we think this is going because I don't think the shipping industry has come to terms yet with how is this all going to play out. But uh, as you can hear, it's being followed closely and we want to make sure that the indexes will be ready to embrace uh, those changes when they come, uh, which will, which hopefully will be in to not a distant future. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and as you say, it's, it's vital that we start addressing this now. I mean, if you look at the, uh, the controversy surrounding valuations on the time charter indices after just the shift um, to... Uh, to IMO 2020, then I think, yeah, <laughs> in view of in view of the future fuel options, we're going to need to do even more work. So it's good to know you guys are there collecting opinions on this. Yeah, and 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 again, as I was saying before, if you if there's anybody out there that has ideas or input to to this process, please do reach out to us and 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 participate. And Hans Christian, with the European Parliament putting through uh, putting shipping in as part of uh, their emissions targets. Um, shipping may have to get to grips with trading carbon emissions as well as something to to think about on top of let alone what fuel you're using too yes for sure uh, i think that's a that's very much a reality that that it, this is not only going to come on a voluntary basis uh, so yeah. so we, i think we we have to realize that there'll be some interference in in uh, influence on our business from the authorities how and when and how that's all going to play out i don't think is completely clear to us yet but we will do, we will do that uh, at one point and again that reflects back to to uh, the time charter indexes if there is a cost environmental cost um, how is that built into these indexes and and we we don't know that yet but I, I, to to answer your question i think it's very realistic that we will have to build this into to the cost picture yeah, it's something obviously with the IMO and committing mm -hmm. to halving emissions by 2050. It's it's something that's going to happen in our lifetimes. It's not not passing <laughs> exactly. on to the next generation. Yeah, in, in, yeah, in the immediate sense, exactly. Yeah. So uh, we, very we, much so. Well, Hans Christian, thanks so much for coming on the program today. Um, and it's been very informative. Uh, so looking forward to the launch of the new handy size contracts. And uh, and yeah, thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Um, and just a note to our listeners uh, to tune in for next week's Air Freight Special, where we will have representatives from Skytra, who created the world's first air passenger index, uh, to discuss the potential for futures trading on, uh, on air passenger and air freight uh, futures. So, uh, so tune into that next week. Cool. Yep. Thank you again to Hans Christian for joining us, to Kerry to give all of his uh, expertise on markets. Uh, we send our Warm welcome to, to Tom, who is not with us today, but uh, to everyone else listening, do listen next week with our special air freight, uh, air passenger freight uh, special. And uh, again, we'll have other things. We've touched on shipping emissions very briefly, but we hope yeah. to have more in-depth talk on that uh, in the future as well. But uh, we will see you next week.